0: The Exodus always. I want to invite you to open your Bibles to Mark chapter 14. It's so good to be back. Can I just get a little give a little plug here as well? Again, for Good Friday Church, Good Friday is so 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 very important. Uh, That's why we. It's it's really why in our Holy Week schedule there are different ways to do it, but it's why we offer a Good Friday gathering because we really believe in its significance and meaning. In preparing us for Easter. And so would you come, Good Friday, and, and, and lament and remember the cross of Christ with us? We would encourage you to be here. It'll be um, under an hour gathering, so we'll be, we'll be done by probably 6.45 or so, uh, but it's always a really meaningful time that prepares us for Easter. And so I would encourage you to come. Again, okay, we're going to be in Mark chapter 14. You can just kind of have it open to Mark 14, and we're going to be hopping around um, in, in several sections of Mark 14 as we continue our series called Pause, where we're just simply pausing to uh, remember uh, certain Lenten themes such as sorrow and wilderness. And this morning we're going to be looking at betrayal out of the book of Mark. Uh, I know it may be hard to believe, uh, but uh, for most all of my middle school and high school Uh, years, one of my top favorite artists was Tupac Shakur. Are you shocked? Anybody else Tupac fan? Machiavelli, one of the most influential rappers of all time. I used to ride my bicycle to, I don't even know if my dad knows this, this is confession. I used to ride my bike to Streetside Records. Anybody go to Streetside growing up? Streetside Records uh, on Manchester Road with, with my neighbor buddies and we would walk the aisles and we would look for music and all I was introduced to when I was younger was, was Christian like CCM music, contemporary Christian music and so we had access to all of that. Actually on Sundays after church, we would, my brother and I would go to our, my parents' car and we would turn the radio on, and we would always listen to Christian music until we found that there are other stations. We didn't even know there were other stations. It had other forms of music. And so we would listen to that, and then, like, right before my parents got in the car to join us, we'd, like, flip it back to Christian and be like, Jesus. Like, so, but we discovered there's other music, and I discovered Tupac Shakur. And I used to bring his cassette home, and... Um, I would take a Sharpie and block out the, the parental advisory. Little box on it. Uh, like, like, what's that little weird box on there now? But anyways, uh, lots of confession happening right now. But Tupac began addressing issues of gang violence in the rap community. Uh, especially, he, he was especially concerned with the, the, the rivalries between East Coast and West Coast rappers. In the the early '90s, and then in the mid '90s, he became paranoid uh, that others within his label were turning were turning their backs on him. Actually, his last two albums were named "Me Against the World" and "All Eyes on Me," and it was it was a really for him personally kind of a downward spiral. From there, Tupac would eventually uh, only surround himself with his closest friends and with security in his final days. And sadly, his fears were not unfounded. Um, He, he at first, was ambushed in 1994 inside of a recording studio, of which he survived that attack, and then eventually he was killed in a drive-by shooting two years later while in Las Vegas. Not long before his killing, he was quoted as saying, the less friends, the less chance of being betrayed. The less friends, the less chance, the less chance of being betrayed. Author of the series of dystopian novels, *The Hunger Games*, Suzanne Collins, talks about how almost every plot she writes is is this: for for there to be betrayal, there would have to be trust first. Right. And this morning we're going to wrap up our series that we're calling again, pause, where we've sought to slow down and consider themes that we don't often want to consider, challenging themes, again, of wilderness and darkness and sorrow and grief. And I even feel that in my soul right now. I feel a heaviness. Even as we're entering into this particular theme and topic this morning, I feel as though there are just tears kind of waiting to emerge, as these are heavy subjects. Quite possibly the most Emotionally exhausting and devastating theme of betrayal is the one that we are going to address this morning by looking at the story, looking at the story of Judas. On Palm Sunday, we commemorate the entrance again of Jesus into Jerusalem. And Tim and Rona, thank you for so beautifully walking us through that story. We commemorate the entrance of Jesus into Jerusalem in Mark chapter 11 as the, sh- as the crowd shouted, Hosanna, Hosanna, which means save us. And so they are shouting, save us, the one who comes in the name of the Lord to Jesus. Jesus hears their chanting, their praise, and their plea, knowing that he too would soon be betrayed and abandoned by that very same crowd. That he would be left alone to endure a most brutal, humiliating beating and death. His followers would soon scatter after concluding that he could not save them, that he was not the Son of God, and they would disperse. Let me read some of the text for us this morning that we're going to be addressing and looking at to give us some context. Mark 14 in verses 1 and 2. I want to begin there. It was now two days before the Passover and the Feast of Unleavened Bread. And the chief priests and the scribes were seeking how to arrest him by stealth and kill him. For they said, not during the feast, lest there be an uproar from the people. Verse 10. Then Judas Iscariot, who was one of the twelve, went to the chief priests in order to betray him, to them. And when he heard it, and when they heard it, they were glad and promised to give him money. And he sought an opportunity to betray him. Verse 17, and when it was evening, he came with the 12. And as they were reclining at table and eating, Jesus said, truly, I say to you, one of you will betray me and one who is eating with me. They began to be sorrowful And say to him, one after another, is it I? He said to them, it is one of the twelve, one who is dipping bread into the dish with me. For the Son of Man goes as it is written of him. But woe to the man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It would have been better for that man if he had not been born. Move with me over to verse 26. And when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. And Jesus said to them, You will fall away. You will all fall away, for it is written, I will strike the shepherd, and the sheep will be scattered. But after I am raised up, I will go before you to Galilee. Peter said to him, Even though they all fall away, I will not. And Jesus said to him, Truly, I tell you this very night, before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. But he said emphatically, if I must die with you, I will not deny you. And they all said the same. Verse 43, and immediately while he was still speaking, Judas came, one of the twelve, and with him a crowd with swords and clubs from the chief priests and the scribes and the elders. Now the betrayers have given them a sign, saying, The one I will kiss is the man. Seize him. And lead him away under guard. And when he came, he went up to him at once and said, Rabbi, and he kissed him. And they laid hands on him and seized him. One of those who stood by drew his sword and struck the servant of the high priest and cut off his ear. And Jesus said to them, Have you come out as against a robber with swords and clubs to capture me? Day after day I was with you in the temple teaching you. And you did not seize me, but let the scriptures be fulfilled. And they all left him and fled. Verse 51, and a young man followed him with nothing but a linen cloth about his body, and they seized him, but he left the linen cloth and ran away naked. There's a common theme throughout this chapter and the end of the earthly life of Jesus, and that theme was betrayal. The word betray means to mislead. Whenever we betray someone, we're guilty of misleading them. Betrayal in a relationship happens when two people enter into an agreement to head down a path of relational commitments, and then one of those people leaves that path. The person left behind has been misled and left to pick up the emotional pieces, and it hurts. It hurts because we were created in God's image, and God is fully and completely and entirely faithful and loyal and kind. Betrayal stands in stark contrast to the fidelity of God that we know and we feel in our souls. In other words, as believers, we both feel our own proclivity to betray and simultaneously feel God's constant, consistent, and perfect dedication to us. But betrayal is not just infidelity or unfaithfulness. It's every broken promise, every harsh and unkind word. As a Christian, it's seen in every single one of our sins. We are betraying God and we are betraying others. By nature, we are betrayers. Just think about Genesis chapter 3. The serpent asks the woman, did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? She responded with the correct response, detailing God's plan to not eat of the one tree in the midst of the garden or we will die. Correct. The serpent retorts with, you will not die. So the woman sees the tree was good for food and delight to the eyes and desired to be wise and so she ate and she betrayed. She misled her husband to eat as well. An act of dual betrayal as the husband was to be protecting and caring for his wife and failed in this as well. God finds them, says, what have you done? The man betrays the woman once again. The woman you gave to be with me, she tricks me. God looks at the woman. The woman says, the serpent, it's his fault. He has betrayed me. In just 13 short verses, three chapters in to nearly 1,200 chapters, we read of betrayal, duplicity, and foolishness, and faithlessness. And so while we have moments of kindness and moments of loyalty and moments of commitment, our flesh is weak and broken and firstly seeks to advance, protect, support, and satisfy self. The prophet Micah in his seventh chapter gives us a bleak outlook on the state of the human condition and our proclivity to betray. Listen to these words. He says, put no trust in a neighbor, have no confidence in a friend, Guard the doors of your mouth from her who lies in your arms. For the son treats the father with contempt. The daughter rises up against her mother. The daughter-in-law rises against her mother-in-law. A man's enemies are the men of his own house. It's like, that's pretty all-encompassing. He didn't really want to miss any relationship there. I coach water polo. For about two months, I know you're learning a lot about me, water polo and Tupac, right? For about two months every spring at Ledoux High School, and just this week, I was paying attention to betrayal in my life, and just this week, I heard words of betrayal from my players. How could she date the boy I like? She was supposed to go on spring break with me, but went with her instead. We used to be friends until... On a bus actually heading to a game this week, the driver asked me if I might know how to get his ex-wife off the home mortgage. With a tear in his eye, he detailed the painful discovery in December of her infidelity. The shooter in Nashville on Monday morning in an act of ultimate and irreversible betrayal betrayed the kids and the teachers whose lives she took. Watch for it. Listen for it. You'll see it everywhere. Now in our passage, we see Judas betray Jesus with what's called disengagement. Walking away from, leaving. Verse 10 says, Judas, we who was one of the 12, he was in Jesus' circle, went to the chief priests in order to betray him to them. And he sought an opportunity to betray Jesus. Him. This was the moment of decisive disengagement for Judas, cutting the cord of loyalty to Jesus. This is the most common form of betrayal in marriage, but also when one party in any relationship weighs the scales concluding the benefit being offered, whatever it is, for Judas it was money, is better than remaining loyal, faithful, and true. Disengagement sends the message that you are of lesser value than what is being offered. And it's devastating. Now per contra, or the opposite of, betrayal is constancy. Constancy, commitment, which requires trust and vulnerability and a willingness to be hurt. Yes. Constancy says this. I choose to walk this path with you. I will not disengage. I will not leave. I won't fight you. I will fight for you. I am near. I am here. As Jesus puts it, I will never leave you, I'll never forsake you, even when you betray me. In traditional wedding vows, till death do us part. As Joshua is taking the Israelites into the promised land, the Lord says to him, I will never leave you or forsake you. As Jesus tells his disciples in Matthew chapter 28, I will be with you until the end of the age. What does that mean? Forever. And so if we've been given a picture here of betrayal and we understand constancy and commitment and how it stands in contrast, I just want to make three observations from this text and then just wrap up by looking at our betrayed Savior who gives us more hope in this department than we might realize. Our first point of three, Judas represents us, all of us. Judas represents us, all of us all of humanity. We hit this briefly looking at Genesis 3, but look carefully at Mark 14, starting in verse 17. This is a fascinating little phrase here. And when it was evening, he came with his 12. And as they were reclining at table and eating, Jesus said, truly, I say to you, one of you will betray me, one who is eating with me. Watch this. They began to be sorrowful and to say to him one after another, Is it I? Why is that helpful for us? Do you see it? They aren't even confident enough in their own loyalty to Jesus to even know if it might be them. Is it me? I I don't know. It could be. Me saying that reminded me of the who, me? Yes, you. Isn't that a kid song or something? Yeah. Kind of like, shoot, is it me, Jesus? I'm not aware of it now, but I know I'm capable of it. It's kind of what we see with his disciples. I know the condition of my heart is weak and easily swayed. Is it me? Is it I? And I want you to notice this as well. The only one, it goes on, the only one here confident enough to say, not a chance, as we read in 26 to 31, the only one confident to say, not a chance, I would never leave you, was who? Peter. In verse 19, even though they will all fall away, I will not. I will not deny you, and tragically, We know how the story unfolds with Peter's denial of Jesus. Zealous, loyal, committed Peter. Church, the good news of the gospel begins with a loud confession and admittance of our guilt, not our innocence. Our unfaithfulness, not our faithfulness. Jesus will not honor the proud who piously pretends to be perfect. He honors those whom confess their need. Judas represents all of us. Secondly, Judas wanted a Messiah who would punish the bad and reward the good, and Jesus said, no one is good except God alone. So Jewish people were waiting for a Messiah that would deliver them from the oppression of the Romans and punish the wicked. And there's nothing wrong with this. This is a good thing. This is a good desire for them to have. We are right to cry out for deliverance from oppression and injustice. But Jesus showed up with a different agenda. The first time Jesus announced his Messiahship was actually in Luke chapter 4. And here's what he said. I want you to see this. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives. To set at liberty those who are oppressed and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. That's Jesus. The Jews are thinking, hey, that's us. That's us. And so it says, and they all spoke well of him. Like, hey, you're going to be a really good preacher one day. Keep it up to Jesus. But then Jesus does something totally unexpected. He goes on to explain how in Israel's history, God always showed compassion to the people that Israel Israel considered outsiders, even enemies. He says in the days of Elijah, when the heavens were shut up three years and six months and a great famine came over all the land, Elijah was sent to none of them, but only to Zarephath in the land of Sidon, to a woman who was a widow. Of all the hungry people in Israel, the only one that God showed mercy to was not even a Jew. And there were many lepers in Israel in the time of the prophet Elijah, and none of them was cleansed but only Naaman the Syrian. God only healed Naaman, the captain of the enemy army. So instead of showing up to punish evil and reward the insiders... Jesus came preaching to the outsiders. And so the crowd listening to this sermon that morning went from being excited about who Jesus was and the message that he was bringing to instead, it goes on to say, they rose up and drove him out of the town and brought, they betrayed him and and brought him to the brow of the hill on which their town was built so they could throw him down the cliff. Jesus' message was that all of us, at our very best, fall short and we need a Savior. Judas, Judas did not want to admit this about himself. And so he missed Jesus altogether. And when he concluded he was right and Jesus was wrong, he ultimately betrayed him. Thirdly, Judas wanted a Messiah who would give him the good life, and Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. The exact amount of the good life for Judas was 30 pieces of silver, which would have been about three months' worth of living expenses or earnings, a good chunk, a nice long summer vacation's worth of cash, Judas betrayed Jesus when he looked up and went, I'm poor. He's poor. Jesus spends time with the poor. I'm hot. I'm tired. I don't really know if I believe this guy anymore. I don't want this life anymore. And to that, I would say, if we conclude the blessings of following Jesus have to do with material wealth and comfort, we are not following the Jesus of the Bible. The blessings Jesus promised always, always, and only have to do with you get me. I am the blessing for Judas that didn't cut it. Before Judas left in verse 20, it's a tragic ending here. Jesus had offered him a portion of the Passover bread, and this was a moment in the feast called the karek. You dip the bread into sauce made of bitter herbs, and that symbolized the bitterness of sin and deliverance from it. And get this, Jewish tradition was that the host would offer the bread dipped in the bitter herbs to someone in the room that he knew well and loved deeply. It was an honor to receive it. The host was saying, You are special to me. Jesus hands that piece, he gives that offer to Judas. It was Jesus' way of saying, The invitation is still good. And Judas rejected it. I want us to notice something beautiful as we wrap up. I skipped verses 22, 23, 24, and 25. Let me read them for us. And as they were eating, this may be very familiar to you, what he does here. He took bread, and after blessing it, broke it, and gave it to them, and said, Take, this is my body. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, and they all drank of it. And he said to them, This is, is my blood of the covenant which is poured out for many. Truly I say to you, I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new in the kingdom of God. I want you to see this. Sandwiched between the betrayal of Judas and the denial of Peter is the institution of the Lord's Supper. The Lord's Supper has its roots in the Passover meal, except here in this story, Jesus flips the script and he institutionalizes his sacrifice as the new covenant that would atone for their betrayals, for their denyings, Flanked by denial and betrayal, Jesus says, I have an offer for you. From the slaughtered lamb in the Old Testament, he offered himself as the lamb of God in his final meal with his disciples. And then after the meal, Jesus himself knelt Before all of his disciples and wash their feet. And I don't know, but I just think maybe this is the antidote to guarding us from becoming betrayers. Servanthood. How can you betray God when you're serving God? How could you betray your spouse when you're serving your spouse? How could you betray others when you're serving others? Betrayal attacks when we are vulnerable and self-serving, not when we are strengthened by the Holy Spirit and God and others serving. This meal points to the single greatest event in human history that would soon take place. The suffering servant would take his place on a cross that would make it possible for sinners, deniers, and betrayers to come into the presence of God, to be welcomed into his kingdom, not barely squeaked in, come, but welcomed as sons and daughters, as royalty. As Pastor Alastair Begg preached, referencing the thief who was crucified next to Jesus, painting a sort of humorous picture upon this thief's arrival at the gates of heaven as the angels are just simply scrambling trying to figure out how this thief how in the world this thief made it to heaven and finally the thief just simply says i don't know all i know is the man on the middle cross said i could come Thanks be to God that he still invites us in all of our disobedience, in all of our sins, in all of our betrayals. He still says we can come. May the perfect faithfulness that God has for you lead you to honor him, to love him, to follow him, and to serve him with your life. Amen. Can you pray with me? Lord, we first thank you for not betraying us. You could have. You could have left us to figure this out on our own. That is the furthest thing you have done for us. Furthest from the truth. The truth is, you have done the exact opposite. You have atoned for our betrayings, our betrayals. In your 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 perfection, in your righteousness, in your loyalty, in your goodness, in your mercy, you welcome sinners. I pray for anyone in this room this morning who has believed for the entirety of their life that somehow some way they can access you if they if they just betray a little less or sin a little less or do a little gooder or do a little better or do a little more you alone are good We can't rehearse and recite that enough. We confess and then we receive your graciousness and your mercy. Pray that we would be built up and encouraged in that good news this morning and that that would lead us to good works and lead us to righteousness and out of your your power and the power that is within us, Holy Spirit, that we would, as you are sanctifying us and making us more and more into the likeness of Jesus, would you spare us from our sins? Lead us to yourself. Lead us to seasons of loyalty and and goodness and worship and fidelity those are good times, and we want more of them. You're you're a good God, and we thank you this morning for being so gracious to us. We pray all this in the name of Jesus, our Savior, our King. Amen, amen, and amen.